0: Welcome to From the Library with Love, a podcast for anyone whose life has been changed by reading. Sometimes a book comes along which readers take to their hearts. When Nancy Ravell wrote The Shipyard Girls, it was an instant success. By the time she'd finished book 12 in the series, it continuously made the Sunday Times bestseller list and cemented Nancy as one of Britain's best love saga writers. Welcome, Nancy. Oh, thank you for that lovely introduction. <laughs> You're so welcome. It's good. It's absolutely wonderful to have you on here because you and I go quite far back don't we in, yeah, a, we do. in another life
1: <laughs> we do and it's really funny because you were always a name for me because I was a freelancer sort of trundling around various sort of you know sink estates in England <laughs> you, you you were always this sort of name really rather well in the face because of course at that time there wasn't that's all of this right. zoom everything. and yeah it was really strange that I then sort of got to see you, you know, and that was more when when we both went into writing. Which yeah, is... and
0: it's, and just to explain for the reader, so years and years back, I was a commissioning editor on That's Life, the women's weekly magazine, and uh, Nancy was one of our most regular freelancers. So always used to bring stories to us, and we'd have long chats on the phone. And you're so right; it was before. I don't think you even had a mobile phone back then. You know, you used to call into the office. So I feel like that was almost feels like another life. And I feel like you've straddled both parts of my life. Yes. Into writing books.
1: Yeah, same as. And I always felt it's really funny because I was talking about sort of the class system within publishing and journalism to a certain extent. And Mm. the... I felt when I was talking to you, I was dealing with somebody who was really sort of really down to earth. And I think that's why I kind of really (laughs) took to you you and probably witted on endlessly because as a freelancer, do you know what I mean? You're so in your own little world. So you get somebody with a bit of time that will actually talk to you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But you're you're so right. There is a definite difference in the class system between journalism, as you and I both knew it, and the kind of stories that we were doing for the True Life magazines and then this slightly more rarefied world of publishing, um, which is very different. Isn't it? I had a question that I was going to ask you further down the line, but actually, I'm going to jump right in with it now because I always think it was one of the best training grounds working for for Women's Weekly magazines. And one of the the biggest things it taught me is that there is nothing so extraordinary as true life. What did it teach you? Oh God!
1: Well, funny enough, I gave I gave a talk on this fairly early on. Uh, you know, once I started writing, because it felt so fundamental to what i was doing with fiction you know it it just i mean gosh i could just go on and on and on and i won't i'll try and keep it very succinct but it just taught me multiple things and i always say to people who are interested in writing especially young ones i always say just get into a job where You you can write and you can earn money from it, like journalism or something, because it will teach you so much about the language, it'll teach you so much about how people speak and how they look and their mannerisms, and it will give you such a broad, you know, a broad insight into all areas of society. You know, especially if you are sort of a you know a reporter as such. So one minute you're sort of chasing a celebrity, and the next minute. You know, you're knocking on the door of a paedophile or something. So, you know, you just have this wealth of stuff. So as the years go on, which is why I'm always really glad that I didn't write as a younger person within fiction you 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 come as a slightly older person with this 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 great tank uh... oh god you're
0: so right you're so right I don't think that you could write the sorts of books that we have written aka saga if you hadn't had that background and that enormous wealth of knowledge and and life experience from going out and sitting with people often at their most traumatic vulnerable moments like you and I used to they used to call it the death knock didn't they you'd go go and arrive on someone's house you never knew what kind of reception you were going to get yeah you had to just sell yourself on the doorstep and and to get yeah. into the house and get the story and and seeing seeing that kind of it, it's really interesting because you you do forget how many times you did that
1: i was always pleased that i i maintained that empathy and i didn't become too hardened by it and i think that's done me well later on because you know i i'm so empathetic as a person generally you know i did so many i did, never got hardened to it and i'm really thankful for that and, and i do use that an awful lot within my writing is you know, so when i write a character there's always some elements of myself or the people that I've had experience with that that is true. So in a way, although it's fiction, I always feel like it is non-fiction as well, because everything I write is true or I have experienced, yes. or somebody else has experienced.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think you <clears throat> you never became hardened to it. In fact, most female journalists that I know have never become hardened to the issues that you're they're going. And actually, I feel personally my well of empathy gets bigger as I get older and I think that's one of the plus points of aging is that you become more empathetic and more open to compassion and understanding and I think if you can channel all of that into your characters and understanding that the issues that they're going through be that grief or betrayal or (laughs) trauma your writing is the much the richer for it so Mm. you're right I think when you go out and give those talks and say to people you know I think I think it was such a great training ground wasn't it writing for true life features because you had 1500 words yeah. I always try to treat it like a, a small book with a beginning and a middle and an yeah, end. Yeah, and yeah. it's quite a good training exercise, yes. actually, isn't it? If you're yes. wanting to write novels, condense your actually. story. Yeah, it's a bit like a template in a
1: way, um, because like I always remember the when I worked on one of the agencies, which, as you know, you know, quite some sort of hardcore and introduce you to this sort of the tabloid world. And I started writing features. So I moved from writing very short sort of snappy news articles to features. And uh, she always said to me, you've got to draw your reader in immediately within those first couple of sentences. Uh, And we talked a lot about beginning and endings within, you know, compiling that feature. And I think that kind of applies very much to books as well. It's like you say, it's a minuscule book.
0: Absolutely. And it's about getting that voice, isn't it? And that characterization through dialogue, which is a really tricky thing to do, isn't it? I think working on those uh, working on those true life magazines gave us that understanding of the impact of dialogue particularly you know show don't tell as they say isn't it yeah
1: definitely and and because you were forced to write especially with the feature writing and you were writing it in that kind of style with people like that's live and take a break you were writing in a fictionalized way so that also
0: then you see
1: that step nearer to writing novels through writing those features I think
0: Yeah, it's so interesting. It kind of plays in. There's so much crossover and you would never think it when you see those magazines on the newsstands and, you know, chat and pick me up and they're quite garish and they've got screamy, shouty headlines. And I think a lot of would-be novelists would recoil if they saw that, but actually writing those sorts of stories and not just writing them, but going out and finding them and winning people over to trust you enough to tell their story. Yes those are hard skills to learn
1: yeah and also I always felt a real you know a real duty to sort of replicate that person's story so so and I used to always give them readbacks which I know you did as well not everybody does that and you know because I, I so wanted it to be as accurate as possible really which kind of brings us to the the research that we've had to do mm-hmm. with writing historical, you know, is is really getting stuff right and getting it accurate because
0: that was a fundamental of journalism, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Because if you didn't, you'd be getting the angry phone call on a Thursday morning when the magazine went, came out with people threatening to sue you and so yeah, so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, or, or or you know, getting things through the lawyers as well. Because I'm sure oh, you know we, we always
1: had a band yeah. of lawyers that had to sort of sanction stuff. So when I when I wrote the first book in particular, I was probably a bit too um overcautious, and I was thinking, oh, you know, if I say this about the the nuns, because I had I had one of the oh, you know this, but uh, and I sort of backed it up with all these previous court yeah. reports yeah. on, and, and <laughs> I didn't care, you know.
0: Yeah, I know um, you, you probably you you came at it with a journalistic head. I did exactly the same when my yeah. first book came out. I panicked so much. I was like would my research stand up and you know yeah. and of law and, and then actually you have to take a step back and go okay this is fiction this yeah. is the same yeah uh, so it's about yeah. compartmentalizing the two sides of your you know being a journalist and being a, a fiction writer yeah
1: yeah it is it's a real it's a real mesh yeah and, and you're right you have to get that that balance right you know of keep telling yourself no you know okay stop doing your research now and just get on with writing a really good story
0: yeah that's it because the story and I've come to learn this and this has been a hard one lesson I think that the story must stand above all and that research is there to prop it up and complement it and support it but you you've got to have a really powerful story to to sweep the reader away they're not going to really care about your research and your statistics and and whether it supports it's not an article it's it's a vehicle of escape isn't it it is definitely and every book that I write I you know I always end
1: up sort of cutting out loads of of the research that I've done and and, and it hurts me to do it (laughs) it's just like no and, and every time I go okay, try and sort of take a back, you know, don't do quite so much research, but it's really hard not to, especially when, you know, history's so exciting, isn't it? And you totally get into certain things.
0: I think you're exactly like me. I over, over, over research all the time and I plough it in and I ladle it on. And then when you step back and you think, it's it's really painful, it's like the removal of a limb, but you have to take that stuff out because it's getting in the way of the story. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> slowing it down, yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. And I never wanted to be one of those writers who, uh, you know, I never wanted to be a sort of literary writer or anything where where it's really heavy and wordy and descriptive. You know, I've always loved, you know, fast-moving books where I don't have to think, oh, God, what does that word mean, you know?
0: It's funny, isn't it? Because that, that concept of being a literary writer, I've never pegged myself as such. I couldn't because I'm not. And I think you know a lot of writers aspire to to be the Waterstones slash literary writer, but but to do so is to demean this enormous genre of books that means so much to to the majority of women living in this country. So this issue of saga which is often looked down upon and people are a bit sniffy towards it. And yet they sell by the millions. Women connect to them and they love them. Yes. And especially your book. So this was my original first question, actually, to start with. For those that haven't discovered The Shipyard Girls, um which were phenomenally popular tell us a bit about your series so where the books are set and the inspiration behind it the the books are set
1: in world war 2 so from 1940 to the end of the war so it, book 1 begins just when the the so called sort of phony war which again you know i didn't even know what that meant you know before i started researching so when the when the bombs first started to drop that's when i started the first book And the the last book ends on VE Day. And it's basically about this sort of group of, of women that do their war work in the shipyards in Sunderland. I think I chose that again, you know, we were talking about journalistic things. When I was looking at all the other books that are sort of, you know, in this genre, we're taught, aren't we, as journalists, the story is only sort of worth printing if it's unusual if it's different nobody wants to read about what they know so I kind of applied that with the saga and and it was kind of by chance actually that I I kind of came across that women work because obviously I didn't know it myself even though I'd been brought up in Sunderland even though obviously you know every day I saw the shipyards which were very much working at, at that time in the 80s before before they were all closed and my mum's family had all been shipyard workers I didn't know that there was women shipyard workers and and it was only when I came across this sort of lone article and in a way I have my husband to thank for this because we were talking about it and and he said to me well didn't women work in his husband southern you know didn't women work in the shipyards and uh, my initial reaction was just like no you know we're talking about the north you know we're talking about in the 1940s of course and I was just like oh, my God, you know, I found this article. I just kind of stabbed it into Google. And there was this one lone article. And I was just like, it was just like that moment where you suddenly get really excited. Mm. And it was just like, oh, my God, they did. These women worked in the shipyards. I've never known this before, you know. And if I don't know, I bet you loads of other people doing more research couldn't find hardly anything written about them. And this lone article was a very small article. It was a local article for Northeast BBC, and it was only very short, so only like 150 words. And I just thought, okay, I'm inspired by two things. One, that these women have never been given any kind of, you know, appreciation of what they did. They've never been given any kind of publicity or retrospective sort of insight into their work. And uh, and I felt really passionate about that. And I I felt like, oh, God, this is just so typical of our sort of misogynistic society. They've never been given a, 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 you know, revered for what they did. And this was, you know, I saw shipyards at the time who would want to work there really hardcore forget the weather do you know what I mean I mean the weather up north is is different you know it's harsh it's on the northeast coastline you are within spitting distance of the north sea and to be an outdoor worker as well so all of these things sort of really inspired me and 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 then what really grabbed me was just like wow this has this is so different. This is what I'm going to focus on with this this group of women. They're all going to be working in the shipyard, and that's where it started from. So I wrote this sort of a little sort of summary for the publishers at the time who who were looking at lots of other people, and it was just sort of you know I'll give it a go, and then they sort of leaped on it. Which on hindsight I can kind of see why because they hadn't had you know a saga that focused on, on women especially women who sort of you know worked in such a, a, a labor male orientated industry so I can see why so so it, it was a sort of a dual the excitement that I felt that sort of golden nugget I found this golden nugget moment you know what was it, it it twofold you know it was this sort of that sort of feminist part of me saying my god you know these women need to be appreciated and 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 uh, and the other storytelling part of me saying wow what great material
0: yeah i love that i really love that nancy that you found this 150 word story and it's it set a fire within you didn't it because you yeah. knew that this hadn't been covered and and i think what i find amazing about these women as well like you say they're in you know in apocalyptic weather and they're working on hard brutal exhausting conditions and then they're going home and looking after children and doing the domestic, so they're doing their second job. Yeah. I always find that amazing. Though. I know, I know, and I did as well.
1: And, and and that's, I suppose, you know, the journalistic thing where I think what you do learn is you really learn to put yourself in somebody else's shoes, because I think that's the only way that you can replicate their true life stories and do justice to them. So in, in a way, you sort of carry that across, and I know you've done that as well. You carry that across so that you walk in your character's shoes you know, you literally go there in your mind and you feel that biting, you know, cold. Uh, and you walk around in their hobnail boots, you oh. pull on their oversized overalls, you hold that heavy welding mask, you know, and, and yeah, it's fascinating. And then, like you say, then you think, Hang on a minute, okay. So the buzzer goes, the claxon goes, they're all sort of squashing their way through the big gates to get home. And, uh, you know, they don't just grab a meal from, wherever and bang it in the microwave you know they go home and they have to cook that meal they have to do that laundry they they will probably have children and on top of it all they will probably have male members of their family that they're absolutely worried sick
0: about because they're on the front
1: line somewhere or they're dealing with bereavement you know so it's just
0: yeah, and to say nothing of the bombs probably dropping down on them as oh well. God. So it's yeah. sort of, you know, they're fighting a war on all fronts. Yeah, it was sort of getting, I mean, yeah, it sort of goes more into this, like this. Dominant, oh my God, oh my God, and the that, and the that. And especially with the
1: shipyards, you see, with Sunderland, what was so unusual was that because all the shipyards lined the river Weir, Obviously, before the war, you know, obviously all the workers there, the cottages were built, small terraced houses were built all around, you know, the north and the south side of, of the river, so that obviously they could just walk to work, you know, or cross the river and go to work. Uh, so then, you know, when 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 the, when the bombs started to drop, you know, they, they were meant for the shipyards, because obviously they were bombing industry, but they weren't that accurate, and nine times out of ten, they were actually hitting, you know, residential areas.
0: Yeah, I mean, and it's so fascinating listening to you talk about it, Nancy, and your passion for it. And there's so much talk, especially in those literary circles that we've referred to earlier of this sort of feminist manifesto. Well, my God, if you want to read a strong feminist story, you couldn't go far. You know, you won't go far wrong if you read this series of books, because that will give you more understanding about women's contribution in the 20th century than any literary book that you could care to pick up. Yeah, but it's, it's bit, yeah it is interesting because... And then what I found kind of heartbreaking
1: was when I came to the end, it was just like, well, I can't carry on their stories because, you know, history it is written in the history books. It is fact that most of them went back and kind of, did a backward step with regards, you know, women's right and everything, because they kind of went back into to being homemakers, not that there's anything wrong with that at all. But it was, they didn't really have that choice. They didn't have that choice to stay on because the men were coming back and they were taking back their jobs, which was totally understandable. But the, the women all of a sudden found themselves in this predicament where they had for five years been you know doing all these things that we've just talked about and then we're suddenly back in the scenario where they were, 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 were homekeepers you know mm, wives yeah. and mothers and, and and that's what fired me on to do going into the 1950s I then found that really interesting to take that step forward and take one of the girls in particular who worked um in the shipyards who was also very working class and had married somebody who was almost aristocratic, you know, he was that sort of upper class, Uh, and take her into the 1950s. And that was then fascinating again, because you're looking at how women then developed in the 50s, which was, I found, fascinating.
0: Yeah, and I love that you've done that because you had this, I mean, you wrote 12 books back to back, which, you know, my God, I don't know how you did it, Nancy, because honestly, I know the effort and the work and the production that goes into these. So you were just on a pretty punishing schedule, wasn't it? But before we get into actually the next book, I just wanted to sort of ask you, because it's one thing finding that golden nugget, isn't it? It's finding that untold story that, you know, the journalist in you thinks, yes, I've done it. I found that untold story. It's quite another writing strong female characters that that in your case really left an indelible mark in your readers' hearts. You created this cast of characters that people absolutely fell in love with, which explains why people went out and bought the book as soon as it hit the newsstands and you made those Sunday Times bestseller lists. And I think it's because you created this cast of women who people felt they intimately knew. How did you do it? How did you create such well-drawn, sort of fully fleshed out characters? Yeah, so that's. I mean, that's a
1: lovely. Compliment for you to say that as well, and and uh, that that is lovely. But I think it's because I love people. I love you know humans, <laughs> and uh, I you know I find them endlessly fascinating. Really, it's really funny when you're talking that this image comes in mind. And I was in Watersons doing the book signing, as you do, on publication day or thereabouts. And in that particular book, the publishers had put this little quiz at the back: which character are you? Uh, and you did this little sort of quiz uh, to see which one you were, oh, which is great because my editor did it, I did it. And, you know, she was like, oh, she's. And uh, so when everyone was coming up and, and I was having a little chat to them, I said, what have you done? Have you done the, the quiz? What character are you? And it was really interesting that, you know, every one of them related to felt very strongly drawn to one particular character. And I must admit, a lot of them were very drawn to, to Gloria. And who is your older character. And I was really pleased with that because obviously she's a bit older than me. The fact that they felt so sort of akin to her w- w- was wonderful
0: to hear. That's so interesting that that really then you're, you've got to create characters that people not only enjoy reading, but relate to. They, yes. they walk a bit in their shoes and understand them and think, well, who would I have been? How would I have reacted in war? It gives you a safe space to explore yes. Second World Isn't War, but through definitely. a distance, doesn't it? Definitely. And also... Oh,
1: it's- Something I was thinking of the other day, because I always write a dear reader, don't I, at the back of my books. And I was thinking, oh, I was writing a dear reader in this new book, and I was like, and I just thought, you know what? We, we don't really change. The outer casing changes, but the kernel doesn't really. And that's what we're like, and that's why people relate to them. So I think Shipyard Girls could have been written in 1800 or 1960 or nowadays, but I think it's the characters are are timeless in a way because all of our life is kind of timeless in that way isn't it the way we feel the way we think the things that we have Mm -hmm. to go through in life is pretty much the same it doesn't we all have to deal with bereavement and
0: illness and sadness and love whether we were in the 1800s or or, or now or, or war you're so right, I think it it, it it could have been set in any century really doesn't it and I think that's what why it explains the popularity of saga and historical fiction is that it gives you that way of exploring the past yeah and also the resonance of that between that and the and the sort of current issues that we see I think it's that gives you that sense of and so too the short past I think we get reassurance from looking at women and how they've faced extraordinary and overcome adversity yeah. and thrived it makes you we can draw courage our own personal courage from that perhaps yes I, I have a lot, quite a lot of communication with my readers and they're
1: just wonderful and they message me and everything and so I, I kind of I get to see how they feel about stuff and and I, I do also think what they loved was the sense of dysfunctional family that the women had you know mm. and, that they... let's well, be honest who doesn't who doesn't
0: yeah, have exactly. a dysfunctional family yeah exactly
1: and they kind of came together and they they were all really different but they they got on and they accepted each other and they helped each other I kind of felt with some of the younger characters also which I loved writing like Angie and Dorothy you know that that there's so many Angie and Dorothy's about now isn't there the sort of slightly ditzy you know they just want to have fun yeah, so so they were all. I enjoyed writing them all in a way, right. and and you know, Rosie, the one who really has been through quite serious trauma, but is incredibly strong, and, and she has this sort of lioness quality about her that you know she's going to survive for the sake of her younger sibling.
0: And what a privilege, as well as you were talking to to have that connection and with your readers because. You know, that is obviously the best part of the job, isn't it? When you get the email through or you get a letter from somebody saying, this book, you know, it really struck me, I, I, you know, and and people kind of relate to it and connect to it. It's wonderful that you've got that connection because it's the readers that put you there essentially, isn't it? Oh, God, yeah, definitely. You you seem to have a real loyal army of readers.
1: Oh, that's really nice. I know, I feel like I've got this like huge extended family. It is incredible and especially when I have signings and, and one in particular which, you know, God, you know, I felt you to be emotional about it because it, this lovely woman called Anne um, Kath and um, came up to me it have been about on the third book and she gave this this beautiful bouquet of flowers and I was just like, oh my God you know and I was like thank you for, you know why sort of thing you know and uh you know I was kind of thankful for them for buying the book and liking it you know and she just said um your books gave me such solace during the months following my husband's um death. She said it just really, really helped me through, and I was just will be forever thankful. And it, you know, and and it was just wow. That was just the yeah. most incredible,
0: hugest compliment I think I could ever have been given. That's amazing. And I've got a real sense of you every time you come to your computer to write the next book. That this, this sort of that you're surrounded by the readers that you yeah. are writing for, and that each book you're they're they're sort of swelling in their ranks, and you've got this oh. army of readers behind you. So. I've got oh book 12 uh, came out were you uh, surprised by the book success oh god like
1: massively yeah like right. yeah hugely
0: I mean because yeah. it's the dream isn't it to, to make the Sunday Times bestseller list and you've been on it how many times now yeah I know
1: a now. lot I know, I know. <laughs> <gone back>. yeah <laughs> loads and oh. This, and I swear to God, this is, this is true, and how ignorant, and and because obviously I'd been immersed in the whole journalistic world, so for me, to be honest with you, I hadn't even read that many books before I started writing The Shipyard Girls, because you know, your reading is all newspapers, magazines, you're watching Sky all the time, you know, and, and by the time you fall into bed, you know, you can read a couple of pages of your latest know, book and that's it. So all of a sudden I was sort of plunged into this uh, publishing world and writing this book, and, and I was just so obsessed with actually being able to get to the end of this book because I didn't know how it was going to end. And I was really terrified that I wouldn't be able to you know, create these characters. And, and they were like, great, you know, just, yeah, we, we want you to write this book. We want you to write six. And they're just like, OK, well, let's just, you know, let's just do the first one first. Let me just see maybe do one. And I was just so obsessed with, like, getting to a good ending. And I didn't know if it occurred. And I was just, you know, anxious and terrified and, and I got to the end of it. But I didn't really know anything about the publishing world. And I think it was the fourth book, she rang me up and she went, my publisher, my editor, she said, oh, I'm so excited. And I remember standing, because I've moved up to Sunderland by this this stage, and I remember standing in, in my office and I was sort of looking out and, and I can actually see, or the, almost see the North Sea and almost where the shipyards used to be. She said, um, I can't remember exactly exact but it was just like, she, she, you've made this list, you know, and... Uh, I was like oh that's fun that's really good yeah. and then there was a sort of pause and she, she could tell obviously I had no and I'm oh, sorry I don't really know what you mean and she said she said she's turned best sellers. list and, and I said okay can you just explain that and she she took me through her, what a big thing it was da, 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 and then obviously you know I was like oh my God, that's amazing and it was just really surreal, and then obviously I put the phone down and ran downstairs. So doesn't I made the Sunday Times this. He looks at me blankly, you know. He didn't know what <laughs> happened, and uh, and then it sort of slowly dawned on me what a massive thing this was. I was so overjoyed at that stage, so, a they wanted me to continue writing the books, uh, and b people were really enjoying them.
0: Yeah, oh, that's amazing. I love that you didn't really know the significance of the Sunday Times bestsellers. <laughs> But I get the impression it must have been like a sort of tornado in a way that kind of came and sucked you up. And then you were in that whirlwind of of writing, research, promoting. And that's quite a cycle, um, you know, to, to follow through. And you did it for 12 books. How did you do that? How did you juggle that? Was it lots of caffeine and not much sleep? Or how did you how did you weather that? Well, it's funny, actually, because I think the other reason that I was sort of a bit unaware
1: of life outside writing the book, I was sort of unaware of anything to do with publishing, I think because I just thought you were talking about compartmentalising. And I think that's what I did. I just thought, look, forget about agents, forget about publishers, forget about the bookseller and all these trade things that are talking about writers. Just write. And but during all of that, I moved from Oxford up to Sunderland in order to write the books. So I got commissioned to write in July 2015. And we literally, I went for a walk with husband and said, I feel like I need to, if I'm going to do this really well, and I'm going to do it to the best of my ability, I feel like I have to be up north when I write them because I never thought I'd get commissioned for it. So I kind of just did it a little bit sort of, you know, oh yeah, I have to be set up in Sunderland and, you know, because that's where I come from and, you know, no books have ever written about Sunderland. I felt really passionate about a book being set in Sunderland, but I didn't think they would commission me to write a book. So it was all a bit sort of, you know, up in the clouds, airy fairy, and, and all of a sudden they're like, yes, we want you to write six. I said, okay, I have to go up there because... I'd been away for so long. I needed to hear the dialect. I needed to hear the language. I needed to feel that weather, you know, I needed to walk along the beach again. I needed to look where the shipyards were. So thank God husband said, okay. And we had only just moved. We'd only just moved literally a few months before. So I wrote the start of the shipyard girls in a little room that was overlooking the car park of co-op in Oxford with books uh, with boxes still around me so we we bought a house up in in Sunderland yeah we moved just before the Christmas so within that six months so it was completely utter madness once I was there everything else just took, took back seat but I will say I do think I was only able to do this because I don't have children I honestly believe if I had children, I just wouldn't have been able to put that time and intensity into it. Do you think? Uh,
0: That's interesting. Yeah. So much to unpack in that. I'm I, i I'm amazed and impressed that you actually moved house to be where your characters lived. You know, you talk about authenticity and going the extra mile. That really is. You, you yeah. packed up yeah. your life and moved back up north. Do you think if you'd stayed in Oxford, the books would have been the same?
1: You know what? I don't know. All I remember is... I remember going into the publishing company, and, and my editor, and publishing director at that time was, uh, and she's very well known in the industry now. I realise uh, Jenny Jerez, Jerez, I don't pronounce her name properly, think, but uh, anyway, she's lovely, and uh, she's with Tour now. And I remember that slightly aghast look on her face when I was sort of sat there, and all the team there, and telling me how they, you know, how the book was going to progress, and introducing me to sort of marketing and everything. And I sort of said, I started, "I'm you know, I'm I'm moving back up there," and and I could see her thinking oh my God, we've just, we, this, and she went, oh, we you don't, have. To, don't feel like you have to do that. Uh, and I could tell she was sort of gasping. you know, I was, I was doing this outrageous thing, of actually moving up there. And uh, I could just see everything in her face, you know, that she was thinking. And I said, oh, don't worry, you know, if they're not a success, they're not a success, but I'm, I'm going to do it because I think this is the only way to do it. This is the yeah. only way to do it. You fully, it. you fully committed to it,
0: didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, well, good for you because, and and it was absolutely paid off in that way, didn't it? Because I think people could feel that through your writing, that, that commitment and that passion yeah. for all those women.
1: Feel, yeah, definitely. And I think it's little things. And I do think it's quite, I must admit, I do feel it's quite important to be in the place that you write about generally, even if it's just for a certain amount of time, because it was like little things I'd forgotten about, like the seagulls. Do you know you're always hearing the seagulls around you there now I would I wouldn't have remembered that being down here and the weather I know I keep going on about it but my god you do forget how and, and how it affects you so all those little sort of details. Yeah
0: I agree it's those little visceral things that you if you're not in a place and that's the struggle isn't it when you can't move to a place like I, I've i just finished a book set in Jersey and there were many a time I, I longed to move to Jersey, which is completely impractical. So I, I went there as many times as I could because you need to walk the streets, yes. you need to feel, yes. smell the aroma, the distinct yes. details that make up an area. Yes. You like almost cloak it around you, haven't you? Like a like a big woolen yes. coat and absorb that details. Yes, but that exactly. explains so much to me about how you got into the psyche of that area and how you came to write it so authentically but you and you said an interesting thing earlier about just write those two words you know that, that you just got up every morning you came to your desk and you just sat down and wrote that's actually a lot harder than it sounds it is <laughs> what was what was it spurring you on you know you what was your routine talk me oh, about like, okay, how, right. what you did well first of all fear originally spurred me <laughs> on fear oh, is a great driver that's oh, a deadline yes
1: because also, you know, I I'd, I'd walked, I'd basically left journalism, knowing, you know, there is there is sh, do, the journalists do, you know, commissioning editors have short memories to a certain extent, don't yeah, they? So true. when you, when you're out with the scene for a while, it's hard to get back. In. So I was sort of fearful that I had left what you know my bread and butter, um, as it were. I mean, uh, you know, I was lucky in the fact that I did stipulate to the publishers, which is again something I always say to people when I do talks to the youngsters is you must show your value and say, you must at least pay me enough money so that I can live. So luckily with that first deal, I was given enough money just just about to sort of get by on. Um, but it was obviously, a, it, was, it was a drop from what I'd been earning as, as a freelance journalist. So um, kind of fear was driving me on of survival, which is really nice. That's gone a little bit more. And I enjoy, it's a lot more enjoyable now. And you know, now it's totally a different sort of vibe. But back then it was kind of, it was, it was, fear it was it was inspiration it was excitement kind of loads of things that kind of all balled into one that i think just had me there bashing
0: yeah
1: out on 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 the computer and
0: I think sometimes you can overthink it can't you you just need to sit down write one word write another word and to begin with I always I don't know how you feel but when I first it was probably different for you actually because you're writing the same characters but whilst you're getting to know your characters I always feel like it's going to a party and making small talk with people you don't really know you're sort of dancing yeah. around a bit trying to and it's not until you just sh- you have to just show up every day and yes. write words and get to know you and get to know your characters and then they start behaving in ways that are extraordinary and they do things that you that take you by surprise so it takes yeah. a while but and the, there is no easy shortcut to that is there it's just a case yeah. of turning up to the page and writing yeah. words and living with these characters in your head I yes. suppose. exactly and put, putting that
1: time in definitely. And yeah, that's 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 you know that is so much of it. The irony is, you uh, I think anyway, is that you only get to know those characters at the end of the book when you finish writing. Yeah, yes. then, then you kind of go back and go, okay, I really know you now, and kind of, but especially this recent book, I kind of done it more because I had a bit more time. But I sort of wrote this book. And then I sort of went away for a couple of weeks and I came back and got, right, I really know you, the characters now. And I sort of tore it up a little bit and,
0: and kind of rewrote it because I knew them. Oh, that's yeah. interesting. So yeah. when we you and I last spoke, I think you just finished book 12 and you were pretty exhausted. I think it's fair to say. And you were like, I need a, I need a break. And you were going to go off and write something in a very different genre, which you have indeed done. Um, but now you've come back to. Yeah. The yeah. shit like that. So tell us a bit, I know we touched on it earlier, but tell us a bit more about the, the Widow's Choice.
1: Yeah, sometimes I suppose it's just, sometimes you just need that break, don't you, in life generally with stuff. And and I suppose because I had been so driven by crime in the journalism, I'd sort of gone from, from black to white. And then I sort of came at, at the end of Book 12 and I thought, I, I think maybe I had a bit of a hankering for that sort of crime. So I kind of indulged that and, and, and that was great. And it was also really lear- another learning process because I was writing in a different genre. So it was it was a, it was a slightly different way. And I realised when I got to the end of it, I missed something. There was something I missed and I know what it is now. What I really missed was that oh, that sort of depth that sort of really getting to know a character those nuances which you you don't necessarily get when you're writing something like crime because it's so much it's kind of more story isn't it and I miss the the sort of the the detail there was something I felt that I missed and it's really hard to explain what it was but this idea came to me having had this sort of you know um, rest and I was sort of I was thinking my mind sort of just swung back and I think it's also you know a lot of my, my readers fault I think because they kept sort of messaging me saying oh what's going to happen to them what what do you reckon and, and I think maybe they were playing on my mind a little bit and I was thinking do you know I wonder what they would do and some of them sort of some of the main characters sort of knew and and I was and I kept coming back to Angie who, who was one of the sort of uh, she's one of the main characters, but not one of the main main characters. I oh, don't want to give too much away about the plot, but, but basically, I sort of I just started thinking about her, and I was thinking, God, you know, she's she's gonna she's gonna be this working class background, you know. She she was she was the most sort of working class character in the book, probably uh, maybe it's Gloria, and I really loved Angie because she she. I think went through quite a big learning curve during the shipyard girls and then you know she met this guy who was totally not from her world and fell in love and uh but he just so happened to be extremely rich but they gelled and it was this real sort of feel of, of a genuine love that had sort of surpassed those boundaries of class um and education And I thought, God, I wonder how they would then manage, you know, because she'd always been in her world. But, you know, she had to leave the shipyard girls and she was married and she was going to go and live with, you know, uh, her siblings as well as Quinton in the manor, Cuthbert Manor in, in Darlington. So she was even going to a different area of the northeast. So it was full of this. What inspired me in a way was that So I was going from, this is the seaside, you know, the sea uh, and that kind of industry to countryside, but still within the Northeast and to a place that was incredibly rich. So it was a complete dichotomy of the shipyard girls, but still taking one of the characters. And So that just all excited me and I was just like,
0: yeah, so you, got the same, you I was just thinking you've got the same spark of, of passion that when you realised that you discovered this story first time around. And I love the jeopardy of that. I love that you've taken this, you know, brassy working class girl who's, you know, weathered the storms and the war and the blitz and, and the shipyards and thrown her into, you know, talk about dichotomy, like you say, and the 1950s and, you know, domesticity and a different class. I mean, there's so much to overcome there, isn't there? So yes. that's a great, um, I suppose every story needs jeopardy, doesn't it? But you've thrown her right in there. There's so much yeah. to dismantle for her there. And then, and I don't know whether I can say this, but you can always edit it out, but and, and it kind of is
1: given away in the, the publicity for the new book, sort of gives it away. But then to really create problems, at the, the beginning of the book starts and her husband has an accident and he dies. So she has been plunged into this world that is you know, so unlike uh, what she has been brought up to. And yeah. she all of a sudden finds herself in charge of this manor on this huge estate with her four siblings. So that th- th- there's this great sort of sense of sort of belonging as well as so all of a sudden she just doesn't feel like she belongs anymore. And, you know, there's lots of other things that come into it because the other thing I find interesting about the research was that a lot of the stately homes and the manors were requisitioned during the war. And obviously a lot of them were... were And there was these great taxes. So all of a sudden, financially, although she's living in this great place, there's, there's lots of other sort of things, challenges and hardships coming her way that are to do with what was happening at that time.
0: Yeah, I bet not like not least a leaky roof and probably all the other myriad issues. Well, yeah, because
1: at that time, it's, and again, you know, this kind of shows a prevalence of what's happening now in, in Parliament. We discussed about, you know, inheritance tax. And at that time, inheritance tax for people like the, the so-called rich was 85 percent. So when somebody died, the government took 85 percent of their estate. Yeah, I have no idea. Yes, yeah, serious problems. So. And this is, I think, another example of how reality drives a plot so that the idea for a plot comes through your head, but then you find something like that out, which is did, and I was just like, oh, wow, so this is something else, you know, that she's she's going to have to deal yeah. with,
0: not just that he's dying, she has to give away 85% of what she's... Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. And what I love most about this, the, the whole thing of you coming back and having written this um, sequel, yeah. is the fact that it's, it's in the best possible tradition of of books and reading and that relationship between the author and the readers because the readers have demanded it of you they've dragged you out of your little links you know out of your garden and back behind your desk they asked it of you and that is actually how it should be you know yes the relationship between the reader and the author yes it's so unique that they have brought this book into being which is remarkable really it's not publisher driven there's nothing fake about it Yes, it, yeah, it, you're so right. And I hadn't sort of seen that before because it's been
1: such a gradual process of, you know, sort of being taken back by this love and, and, and gradually, you know, this, this readership and all these people. Uh, and they've just kind of become a part of it. So I don't kind of see that. But yes, you're right. That's exactly kind
0: of yeah. what happened. Otherwise, you'd still be tinkering in your garden right now. <laughs> <laughs> in many ways, gardening is a little bit like writing, isn't it? Because you toil away, you yes. put things into the ground that you don't see immediately, and you have to sort of that's step it. back and wait. And then hopefully in nine months, something blossoms, which yeah. in your case, it really did. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. My book writing thank god is much better than my ability to uh, grow things i have to say
1: i think what i enjoy there's two things which i do outside writing and that's swimming and gardening now and i think it's because and that's why i get some of my best ideas because i think something happens when i'm swimming or gardening and i I think it's like that sort of percolation that goes on in the brain and that's when i get some of my best ideas for storylines and twists and turns and then i kind of rush back to the car and then rush home and write it down before I forget.
0: Do you know, one <laughs> of the things I love most about doing this podcast, apart from speaking to really lovely women like yourself, is actually you begin to see themes emerging. Because as you're saying that, it reminds me of an interview I did with Natasha Lester, who was talking about how every morning she runs. And, and it's is and at first she thought, oh, it's, I shouldn't really be doing this. It's a bit indulgent. And then she began to realize that it's as crucial to her routine as research because it's while she's running and in that meditative state, yes. that ideas percolate and and yeah. things happen subconsciously that perhaps you're not even aware of. And then she gets yes. home and she powers it all down. So yeah. if anyone's listening to this and, and wanting to, to establish themselves as a writer, you could do a lot worse and build those things that seem a bit self-indulgent. But for yeah. me, it's walking. I love walking the dogs each morning and and thinking outside in the in the fresh air and surrounded by nature, which I love. And then I begin to think about those ideas. And I have to walk by myself now a lot of the time. Yes. And I love for you that it's swimming and gardening and for other authors it's running. But we all need those processes. It's such yes. a good tip.
1: Yeah, and funny enough, sometimes I get asked by people when you when we're doing sort of you know workshops and everything, is how do you overcome writer's block? So I always laugh and I always say I haven't got time for writer's block. You know, <laughs> block. And, and, and I was and uh, but I was thinking, well, it's kind of like being stuck on plot development. That's kind of how I see writer's block. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I always say to them, I say just go out and do something mindless and that that will that will free free your mind up whatever that is like what you just said walking swimming running gardening yeah. but sometimes, sometimes
0: it's just that the answer is there and you need to yeah. go and do something else and it will just unclick yeah something will happen yeah but you're so right about writer's block I remember ages ago interviewing Penny Vincenzi who was a massive um she's sadly passed away now but she wrote a series a sort of big it was just slightly in the Jackie Collins vein and sold millions of books and she said the very same thing I don't have time for writer's block (laughs) (laughs) yeah which is exactly what you said it really reminded me of that and made me laugh but those are great tips do you have any other tips that you'd like to share for budding writers that Mm -hmm. have helped you I I mean that's an amazing one just getting out and getting your hands in the garden or swimming and clearing the mind I think
1: you said it in a way in the fact that don't do something that you think is is going to sell or appeal to people just do something that kind of
0: makes you feel excited Um, and brings you to the page every day because there's no choice but to write it
1: yeah
0: and and also I think for me it's
1: it's that love of the characters so I you know having just sort of finished this recent book you know like I love Angie, you know, and I love her siblings and I love her little Bonnie. And there is sort of, you know, there's a love story in the book as well, obviously. And I love all the characters. I just love them. And, and I don't want to let them go. And that's why I'm really lucky in the fact that they've allowed this to be a trilogy. So I can I don't have to say goodbye to them. That brings me that excitement when I come to write a book too. I'm kind of excited because it's like, oh God, okay, so what, what, what's going to happen now? You yeah.
0: know, That's so interesting because that love that you pour into it is reciprocated with the readers who then love it in turn. So that's why this is working so well for you. Isn't oh, it? It's you. one big love affair. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's just, Well, I
1: mean, I think love life sod money and everything else life is love isn't it
0: of, of all types oh that is the perfect note to end on <laughs> I've got to oh. say but before we do there are three questions that I always ask interviewing yeah. so I'm going to ask you if that's right because again it's really interesting to compare but can you recall or it's very hard to, to narrow this down but what your favorite childhood book was oh my god this is so
1: weird and and I have mentioned this before and it's so peculiar and I don't think people believe me so I didn't really read that much as a child for whatever reason I don't know. and the first there was two books that made a huge impact on me and I must have
0: only been about 10 or 11 and they were Roots. Roots by Alex Haley it's massive it's a blockbuster a book I've never heard of it what's it about? Oh, so it's it's basically about. I mean, God knows in a way. Maybe it's because
1: it was so unlike my life. So it's set in America. It's all about sort of slave trade and 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 this family and this generational. Oh, I think they even made a um a film out of it. How old were you when you read that book? I
0: know it's insane. I must have only been about eleven. But in a way, that's sort of like a saga, isn't it? It's a sweeping intergenerational epic story of love and loss in generations of family. You basically fall in love with the books that you went on to write. Yeah, do you know what you write? And the other book that I, I, I loved and I read a few times
1: was Gone with the
0: Wind. another sweeping saga yeah it is is. and
1: again set in America in a time that you know probably for me it was that escapism and I probably loved it because it was so thick that it was kind of kind of never ending to a certain extent because it was so long you know you just sort of it was like living in another world I guess and oh my god did I love Gone with the Wind you know I watched the film I read the book again and again
0: but isn't that why we read because we're not just buying a book we're accessing a new world yes yes yes, the child is really compelling when you can't you know you can only cycle up and down your own streets. suddenly it took you to America amazing yeah and and I also think you know maybe it's on a
1: slightly more sort of um more serious note is that you know say for a lot of children who you know aren't in particularly happy home scenarios that it gives them that sort of re- respite and that relief from from it which, which I think is invaluable
0: yeah, I think I think a book is a is a time machine. It just takes us places. It takes us out of our own life and sort of presses pause, yeah. sometimes on the lonely churn of our own thoughts or whatever issues we're facing in life. It's just as yeah. an, an escape valve, isn't it? Yes, definitely. Did you go to the library much growing up? What
1: Oh my God, yes, because it's really funny because obviously I know your love of the library and sometimes I can't always do talks that I'm asked to do, but I will always, and you know, do library talks because I feel so, so passionate. Gosh, so yes, I did used to go to the library um a lot during my sort of childhood and growing up and for me that it was a place of sanctuary and I distinctly there were two main libraries that I went to when I was younger I went to the the, which was wonderful because I did a talk one of my first talks I did there actually and uh, at Sunderland uh, Library so the library in Sunderland was the museum and the library at that time in this wonderful old building so as a child I always remember sort of going in and you know the smell of it in the word and mm. and the books and and I just used to sort of I don't know, did a lot of reading to be honest. I just I just remember sitting at these sort of you know these old wooden polished sort of you know.
0: And, I can uh, smell it as you're talking about it I can smell it yeah and and, and
1: sort of, you know I sort to look at other people be more kind of fascinated by it. and it was all you know obviously very very quiet and very serious and peaceful and and then and I used to just sort of look up stuff I guess and maybe I don't know of course well what it was school or whatever I used to Be quite interested in doing sort of them, sort of little tests where you had to find out stuff, and also the museum at that time. You went up the library, sorry, you went upstairs, and there was galleries, art galleries. Uh, so then I would wander around and look at these wonderful sort of thickly layered oil paintings of, of ships, usually, because obviously it was Sunderland, yeah. uh, and storms. Uh, and then there was this little cafeteria that sort of spun, so it was just such oh. an nice experience for me. And my mum used to take me there a lot. So also, and, and I used to go with my sister, so there was the three of us, which you know, I was always very yeah. happy when us three were
0: together. That's and, such and, and, a little nostalgic insight, isn't it? You know, yeah. wondering this forest of books, the ice bun treat at the end of it.
1: Yeah. yeah. And I used to go on my own as well. And, and I think, again, that's why I think they're so invaluable for, for children, again, who perhaps need to escape a home life where they just need to be somewhere safe. Uh, somewhere quiet, somewhere peaceful, somewhere they can escape in their head. It's multifaceted libraries. Libraries to me are not just about books.
0: Yeah, I agree. I couldn't agree more. You know, they are more than just a repository of books. They are, you know, cradle to grave social welfare, really, aren't they? Yeah. And it's interesting as you're talking as well that you, that I heard this saying that, that libraries make writers. And I definitely feel that coming through in your case.
1: Yes, yes. Definitely. Oh, definitely. Yes. And yeah. for so many reasons. Yes.
0: And uh, Nancy, the final question. If you were sent off to a desert island with only one book, what would it be? Oh, my goodness. It's funny. Actually, I've just been listening to Radio 4 and they've had just from <laughs> <laughs> Sunderland. Yeah. yeah, I've nicked it from Desert Island Discs. <laughs> oh, no, definitely. Um-
1: oh gosh now do you know what because they give you the bible free don't they yes so I suppose that, that would be okay but I do love the bible and that's the other book funnily enough that I, I read a lot when I was young I mean, really I know I know that's child. unusual
0: yes it is it? I what, did, it, you what and... did you get out of it
1: well and do you know what I must have started reading this before we said so I remember we were in the house before we moved and I moved when I was 10 we moved. you know we moved and we were still in the old house And I remember because we had bunk beds, my sister obviously had the top one. And I remember I must have been given this sort of child's Bible and uh, a nice picture on the front. So it wasn't all stuffy. And I remember opening the first page. I was reading it as if you would read a book, you know, the first page and Genesis, which I had no idea what Genesis meant. And just starting to read a story, you know. So for me, the Bible was always about stories. Uh, And I think that's where my love has come
0: that's so interesting I never think of the Bible as being stories but I suppose that's what it is isn't it yeah
1: yeah and I went on to study uh, and as I say totally you know non-religious background or anything like that. I didn't know to go to church or anything like that and, and I went on because I found it so fascinating so I did it for O level so I did RE for O level uh, and as I say probably the most you know unreligious person there was in, 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 in the in the year and then i went on to do it as a level and and then i got accepted to study theology at dorm university <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah i didn't go but i think it was because my love of, of religious studies came through and I, I did really well in it but what i loved about it when i look back now was these wonderful stories that had such great meaning and they had such messages.
0: God, this is just, you really blow me away with that. That you went on to, you could have studied theology at Durham University. That's a real sliding doors moment. You could have gone on to be a vicar or a best selling novelist. <laughs> Yes, and that's where cool. your life diverged at that point, and you took the stories as your inspiration and went on to do follow the career path you have. Yeah. That is so interesting. Ah, uh, it's funny actually that it's just through talking to you that I suddenly kind of remembered that. Uh, God, Nancy, I could talk to you all day. It's just. I could so, talk to you it's, <laughs> and I feel like I'm aware that you've got another book to write oh I know I know (laughs) thank you so much for your time Nancy that's it's just Uh, been so fascinating and I can't wait for you but when is it out so it's
1: out in beginning of January oh
0: beginning of January well thank you for having me and I've really enjoyed this I really hope that you enjoyed that conversation If you have any questions or comments about any of the topics raised in our conversation or perhaps you have a story you'd like to share, then do get in touch via my website, Facebook or Instagram, details of which are all listed on the podcast. Thanks for listening.